sexual sin and temptation. Our passage does speak directly to that and use some language that perhaps you haven't introduced in your home to your children. So I do want to kind of put a PG-13 warning on today's message. Uh, I'm sorry if this is news to you. I'd rather say something up front. But even just in reading through the passage in just a moment, I don't want to be sowing new words of confusion or things like that into your home. I do encourage, uh, begin those talks early and often. Uh, with your children. If you need help to be equipped for that, uh, you can see Chip Chew. He'll be happy. No, uh, I'm happy to talk with you about that, any of our community group leaders as well. Uh, we, we really want to come alongside and help equip parents and families to talk about uh, what I, I believe is the good of human sexuality within the confines of marriage. And that's really where we want to speak to and from today in God's word, but I just wanted to once again give that warning. Romans chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 8. Would you read with me today? Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As I've been preparing over the last couple of weeks, I was reminded of a play that we did some years ago here at Metro Life Church. If you're new here, you may wonder, like, this stage is massive. And so it was definitely designed with kind of a theatrical intent, and our lighting is set up that way. So a lot, of, a lot about our facility is set up not around this stage, that's not the point of it, but really to, to foster and to allow uh, what was happening in our church in the season of life that we were in when this facility was built. And so there is this kind of theatrical design. So if you're new here, you may not know that for some years we had probably two or three large-scale productions that would happen in this building. And uh, some years ago, Stephanie and I were able to be a part of one of those productions with Rob Swanson. He wrote and directed it. If you're not familiar with that name, but you were here for our Good Friday service, that's the man that, that really did just such a wonderful job of of the treatment of God's Word so that we can receive in a unique way. And Rob really has a gift for writing and for uh, directing and producing plays like that. But he was putting on a play, and the first night that we were gathered together as a cast, Stephanie and I were playing a married couple. I don't remember the name of the play, but for some reason I remember that our names were Aram and Sabil, I believe, right? So weird things to remember, especially given my terrible memory. Uh, we were gathered together as a cast. Uh, Steph and I were playing a married couple, and so I kind of felt like this didn't speak to me directly, but I just appreciated something that Rob did in that first night together. He kind of gave a warning to the cast. He just said, when you're in this type of a context and you're, you're together for a concentrated amount of time, you're preparing for something like a, a stage production, 
be careful not to fall in love with your castmates, especially if you are married to someone else who is not here. And, and I just, I, so I kind of grew up on the stage, so to speak. I grew up doing uh, theater in a variety of different forms. And, and I just appreciated that Rob would take a moment to just pause and say, heads up, this is a danger that we should be aware of. He just spoke plainly to it. And, and I've had directors speak very plainly to me. Very angrily and plainly. But what was Rob doing? He was equipping us for something. He was maybe giving a warning. Now, I don't know what informed that comment, and he didn't actually even know I was sharing this this morning, so maybe you can ask him. But I, I can make some assumptions. Maybe he'd, maybe he'd seen relationships come to ruin based on that. Maybe he had seen marriages fall apart because of that. Maybe he had seen someone give in to things that was outside of God's good design. I, I don't want to play it out much past that, but, but what did he do? He said, I, I don't want that for us. So let's just have a plain word of warning. What was he warning us of? Not to become infatuated with one another in that type of a context. It's a concentrated amount of time this is acting and it's not reality, so don't become infatuated with one another in this unreality that we're working through together. It's a helpful word, isn't it? Like even if you haven't been involved in plays and productions, I'm sure that you can kind of imagine those types of moments where there's, there's a, a common goal, there's a concentrated amount of time together, there's long hours together, always longer hours than what they tell you the rehearsal schedule is going to be, right? I mean, always and yet, he is giving us a warning. And I thought about that today because Paul does the same type of thing in this passage. He gives a, a, a bit of a warning, but he speaks very plainly to something. Paul speaks plainly to the selflessness, to the boundaries, to the urgency and the difference of Christian love. He instructs us in how we are called to live for the good of others, for the good of the society that we live in. Why does he do that? Well, he does it so we don't become infatuated with the world around us. See, infatuation is something that, that happens in these concentrated, short amounts of time. And we are reminded that in light of eternity, what we are walking through in this life is but a blip on the timeline. It's but a blip. It's something that we will look back eons from now while we are still worshiping at the throne, not having exhausted, and say, you are worthy. But we don't want to be infatuated by the world that we live in. Why would Paul be so concerned with that? Because he's talking about love, and he wants his hearers in the church in Rome, those Jewish and Gentiles believers that were coming together in the church there, he wants them to understand love rightly. He wants them to understand the good of God's design for love and the various ways that it can be expressed. And he actually begins in verse 8 saying that we should love in a selfless way. His language in Romans 13, 8 says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
So as we are coming to maturity as followers in Jesus, those who have said that he has a lordship over their life, those who have said that he alone is the way that we can come into the throne room of grace, that he alone whose blood is shed, that blood alone can save us and spare us the wrath of God. The wrath that we rightfully deserve And we are coming to maturity as followers of Jesus, these who are ambassadors for a heavenly kingdom. That means that we're learning what Paul's been helping us to understand since the end of chapter 11 of Romans and at the beginning of chapter 12, that we are called to be living sacrifices, laying down our lives with a genuine love toward others. There is something sacrificial about love. I know oftentimes we we have a a class here in the church, one of our kind of grow groups. Uh, You'll be hearing a little bit more about those in the weeks ahead. It's called Cherish. And and one of the things that we've always had a concern about in that is that, that we get this idea that love is the only thing in marriage that is sacrificial and cherishing is kind of the emotive part of it. No, they actually work in combination with one another. I think it's helpful language for this particular class, but we don't want to kind of divide it out quite that much. Why? Because in the context of marriage, both are so necessary. Both are so necessary for sustainability in a marriage. So I'm grateful for those who lead us through this, no matter how long you've been married. But we need to understand something about love. We need to understand it rightly. Why? Because the world really is trying to speak into what love is. And and there are no boundaries to it anymore increasingly less by the day. And so this isn't just kind of trying to swing at the the air of the spirit of the age. This is actually trying to look to God's word first and foremost as the authority on love and understand what it is. Last week, Paul helped us to understand the principle of love when it came to some public debts or the ways that we show honor to others through public debts. That was taxes taxes and revenue. Every business person's favorite sermon. This week, Paul names a perpetual private debt that we will never be able to pay off this side of heaven. That is love. It's an obligation with no limits. It's not something that can ever be paid off. We are called to love others without end. And I want to be careful here because it's not specifically talking about finances, but unfortunately our finances sometimes can help us understand this principle. I think many of us know or have known the sting of debt. Some of us may feel like this side of heaven, things will never be paid off. I know as a husband, it's not an unfamiliar phrase for me to tell Stephanie that I'm worth more dead than alive. And I don't think I'm the only husband that's ever said that if if somebody's like shocked and in awe right now that I would say something so plainly like that. Why do we do that? Because we know the pain of owing someone else. And yet, this is a debt that we will never be able to pay, this side of heaven. We'll never be able to exhaust the call to love our neighbor. We'll never be able to exhaust the call to love others. Real love extends to all people, those who are Christians, those who are non-Christians, whether they're rich or poor, people of every nationality, of every age, and so on. Why is that? Because God's love is toward all. God's love is toward all. But there are boundaries that are provided for us for our good. So verse 9 and 10 help us understand love in the boundaries that God has provided for us. Let's read verse 9 together. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, 
You shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Notice something that's happening here. This is an, an internal an internal work that the law is trying to do, but it has this external expression. It has this external action, right? There's something that happens outside of ourselves that's actually revealing what's going on inside of us. And that's always a scary moment, isn't it? Have you ever had that moment where it's like, did I say that out loud? I've had those moments on Sunday where I look at Stephanie and I say, did I say this in the pulpit? She just goes, no. I said, okay, good. Or I've had the other ones where she says yes, and I say, oh, no. Perhaps you've had those moments, maybe in somebody that you're in a relationship with, with a child, with a friend, with a spouse, maybe in your workplace. You've had that moment where it's like, I accidentally hit send on my first draft of that email. That's not helpful. And it's not about punctuation. It's about what it's revealing externally of what's going on inside of you internally. I think we've all had those moments. And Paul is addressing that by naming these specific commandments. You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet. What is that? Those are things that that have this outward expression, but they're revealing something that's going on inside of us. Yes, God is concerned with the outward expressions, but the way that he is going to restore and heal and bring into right ways that we're acting is he's going to work on us internally. And so God, uh, Paul, in this passage, is bringing these things to help remind us of something. He's actually been kind of uh, droning about this for a little bit. And I don't mean that in some, like, passive way where it's like, uh, Paul's just droning on about this. No, this has been a regular recurring theme throughout the book of Romans. Why? Well, if we look at Romans 5.5, it reminds us that God is the source of this love that we can express to others. But we are to present ourselves as willing vessels to be filled so that we live for him. Romans 5, 5 says this, the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Internal. Why? So it can bear external fruit. Internal. Filling. External expression. Even as we get to the gifts of the Spirit next year in 1 Corinthians, even as we've seen them so far in the book of Romans, there is always this connection to love and service of others. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because God first loved us. His divine love, His agape love, reaches down to us in Jesus Christ. It's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and in return we turn it back to God and to those who are around us. This never ending flow of the love of God. It's amazing, isn't it? His great love is both the source and the motivation of our love. Now, other places in in the book of Romans, we have learned some things about the law of God and maybe its fulfillment or its abolishment in our relationship to it as followers of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.31 says this, Do we then overthrow the law by the faith that we have? Paul says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Romans 7.12 says this, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So we don't just do away with the things that God has said to us. There are boundaries in place for our good. These verses teach us that properly understood and applied, all of God's commandments are good and important. 
They're important because when we understand them, and even when we understand them in combination with one another, we learn about the embodiment of God's own nature. And we certainly see this through Jesus Christ. But through the law, we understand his attributes. We understand his character more. And we understand his care for us as his creation. See, we love others not to earn God's love, but because we are sure of God's love. Perhaps I could say it this way. Law, love needs the law for direction, and the law needs love to come to life. They work in conjunction with one another. So in learning to live this life out selflessly and within the boundaries that God has provided for our good, when is it that we should express this love to others? Paul next helps us understand that we are to love with a sense of urgency. Let's look at verses 11 and the beginning of 12 in Romans 13. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. This past week, as I've been studying, I came across an illustration. This is from uh, Romans' commentary on preaching the word. It said this, We ought to be like the little boy whose family clock malfunctioned and struck 15 times. So that he rushed wide-eyed to his mom, crying, Mom, it's later than it's ever been before. What sanctifying logic is that for us? We should also keep in mind that if Christ does not return in our time, he will certainly come individually for us in death. Each ache, each pain, each gray hair, each new wrinkle, each funeral is a reminder that it is later than it has ever been before. And it is time to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, as many of you know, I'm fascinated by both watches and documentaries. They came together for me in a powerful way watching a documentary a few weeks ago when I was watching the story of the Washington, D.C. sniper. And in particular, this poignant moment where a man's family had been given the watch that he was wearing when he died from the Washington, D.C. sniper's bullet. It stopped at the moment of his death. So here's his brother holding up the face of a watch with the moment of his brother's death. And there was just this powerful moment for me. As I'm looking at the face of a watch, something that I really am fascinated by, and there's this poignant reminder that was the end for someone, unexpectedly simply going about his day. The moment of someone's death captured there in perpetuity. It will just remain that way. It might be said this way. Those who are living seem to be most concerned with what time is it now. But God has a different concern. God is concerned with the time that is drawing near. Think of it this way. We all have a moment when our earthly watch will stop. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, well, we have the hope of heaven. It's what we've been singing about and rejoicing in this morning. That hope is not just produced because we're whipping ourselves into a frenzy. That hope is produced by us understanding the love of Jesus Christ and saving us. 
That hope should be a part of what drives us to share the love of God with others with a sense of urgency. Why? Because I, I don't know about you, but I want anyone who walks through those doors or anyone that I interact with week in and week out, I want them to know the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. If you're here today we, and, and you've not responded in what we would call saving faith by saying Jesus alone is the way, it's not my actions, it's not anything like that, that Jesus alone is the way, I would want you to hear a clear call to have opportunity to respond in that saving faith on the day that your time is concluded on earth that you would be able to stand at the edge of eternity with one of two options heaven or hell and i would want you to know that you can experience the love of god for yourself so that you can experience the hope of the age to come see there's no other way than jesus christ and his love expressed to gain access to the father Place all of your hope in him today, in this gift of salvation. But as we urgently and as we selflessly love others within the boundaries that God has provided for us, that will mean that we will love differently than the world around us. We will love differently. We're going to look at the end of verse 12 through 14 today. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness And put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we're wide awake. We're not walking around as if we're in the darkness. We're called to be in the light as 1 John calls us to be. But we should note something that Paul seems to be kind of mixing up his metaphors here. And it might be difficult to kind of keep track of them. Why? Because he's been using light and darkness in this theme along with an analogy about time. And he's, he's doing that to help us understand the contrast in how it is that we are to live and the urgency that we should be living with. I could have entitled this point, Dress Differently Rather Than Love Differently, but that would have messed up my L streak. Paul begins by telling us to cast off the works of darkness. He even talks about some of the sexual sin and some of the addictive sins and the drunkenness by by, by actually calling it out as the things that happen in the darkness of night, the things that that we try to hide in the shadows of our lives. And there is no shadow with Jesus as our Savior. He sees all. He reveals all. He knows all. And he has come to redeem it all for his glory. See, in casting off the works of darkness, though, we don't become vulnerable. Let's just pause there for a moment. I think... Many of us, if we've not had the dream, we've heard of the dream. It's a fairly common thought of the idea of standing in front of someone and giving a presentation like in an inappropriate manner of dress. And for some, it's such a frightening thing to do because there's a vulnerability to that. But yet, before the Lord, our works are as filthy rags. We are vulnerable in His presence without Christ. And so he's telling us to cast something off, to cast off the thing that we know, that we try to hide behind, that we try to find comfort in. 
cast that off, and yet he doesn't leave us vulnerable in that moment. We're told to put on what? The armor of light. That doesn't just sound like something that comforts us. That sounds like something that has some power to it. The armor of light. Cast off the darkness. Put on the armor of light. Why? Because God equips us. He even clothes us in the ways that we can walk for him. That in Christ we can live for him. Ray Steadman gives this illustration. When I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes, intending them to be a part of me all day, to go where I go, to do what I do. They cover me and make me presentable to others. That's the purpose of clothes. In the same way, the apostle is saying to us, put on Jesus Christ when you get up in the morning. Make him a part of your life that day. Intend that he go with you everywhere that we go and that he act through you in everything that you do. Call upon his resources. Live your life in Christ. Note that Paul here is bookending some language that he's used elsewhere. He actually goes all the way back to Romans 12, and, and we remember that this would have been presented as one unified, really, sermon at the time, that it would have been read aloud as if it were a sermon in the gathered church. But he goes all the way back to Romans 12, 3, where he told us that we are to think soberly in judgment of ourselves. He says that we're not supposed to walk away and walk around intoxicated by the world. What does he mean by intoxicated? That our senses have become dulled to the things of the world. Back in verse 11, we're told to wake up, and now we're told not to have our senses dulled by the things of the world in the way that we seek to love others. What is he talking about? Don't be lulled into an infatuation with the world. Don't have your spiritual senses dulled to the point of intoxication or worse, slumber. And this is where the language of today's text is, as I've warned, a bit more PG-13, because Paul uses a variety of sins to illustrate what the darkness of our time includes. Yes, he was speaking to Rome in the time of Nero, but he's speaking today to Metro Life Church in Castleberry, in Central Florida, in the Orlando area. He's speaking to me and to you today. He wants to illustrate what the darkness of our time includes. That includes sexual sin with orgies, sexual immorality or sensuality. The sin that leads to addiction, that would be like drunkenness or substance abuse. We might call some of these social sins. I mean, there's, there's quarreling and jealousy. Like you can kind of walk away from those, right? Well, there's still sin. There's still something in our heart. See, our passage today began in verse 8 talking about love as a fulfillment of the law. And when we think about that word fulfillment, we realize it's a satisfaction that results from fully developing one's abilities or character. Paul is bringing the law in, and he's bringing it along with the character and the work of Jesus Christ. And he is saying, this is the fulfillment of God's law. Live like that. How? Love one another. Now Paul tells us at the end of this passage not to gratify the desires of the flesh in verse 14. Gratification, what is that? Well, that's pleasure, especially when gained from the satisfaction of a desire. What is that? Outward, being driven by the inward. Don't gratify, fulfill the law. Why? How? By loving one another. 
Unfortunately, there is today an entire industry built on the idea of instant gratification. It's a promise of a sense of fulfillment, but the fruit is so much worse. I believe it's an exploitation of God's good design. I think that the porn industry presents a cheap substitute for God's good design, the intimacy that a man and woman are given as a gift in marriage. I've seen it ruin so many friends and relationships. See, we have an enemy that understands that we were created for intimacy. So what does he want to do? Well, he wants to take our eyes off of the good intimacy that God has provided. He wants to put it on something that's a fake, a replica. Please, please don't misunderstand in my words. I'm not going to extrapolate all of the issues that we should as believers have in moral disgust at the porn industry and things like sex trafficking and that there is another human being, another divine image bearer on the other end of a screen or a page. So I'm sorry today if in the brevity of my statements I'm not able to hit every particular issue. My goal here is to this today. Let's speak to the heart of Metro Life Church. Let's start here at home before we start trying to address all the things that are going on in the world. I don't want to be participating in things that I decry in social media. I don't want us to be a church that does that either. I don't want to take my eyes off of something that is God's good design and replace it with a replica. And then in my mind, try to just write it off as if that human being is an avatar. See, what we're doing when we engage with the sexual, addictive, or social sins of the world, we are substituting the glory of God with cheap knockoffs and lesser gods. It's also known as idolatry at a certain point. Can I acknowledge that as pastors and leaders through the church, we're hearing more and more from both men and women about issues with pornography as well as anger? Now, if, if I've been in pastoral counseling with you recently, don't be alarmed. I'm not talking about you in particular. I, I, I'm not that guy. I'm talking about us, Metro Life Church. It's something we've been noticing since late spring into early summer, hearing more and more where porn has almost become normalized in relationships. I'm not talking about out there in the world. I'm talking about us where anger is the most oft-expressed emotion in a home or in a relationship. So this really hits all of us, men, women, old, young, Metro Life Church. Not just a diverse community of believers racially, a diverse community of believers generationally who God wants to work on our hearts so that the outward-expressed fruit brings Him glory. You may wonder, why does it seem like you're leaping today to these topics? Actually, I believe that this passage addresses these, topic, these topics. 
I'm talking about orgies, sexual immorality, sensualness. Call, and what is it doing? It's calling us to a heart. Yeah, I'm going to use a word. It's going to seem very old school, but I think it's very biblical. A chaste heart. Porn is the death of a chaste heart. Let alone what it can do for a man and woman in a marriage in their sexual relationship. Let's start with the heart. Porn is the death of a chaste heart. It's a toxin for a mind that should be a living sacrifice submitted for God, submitted to God for renewal. Today's passage, I think it addresses the issue of anger because in talking about quarreling and jealousy, it may be talking about social sins, but anger left unchecked will destroy the social fabrics of our homes, our relationship with others, and our witness in the world. May, may Metro Life Church never be filled with members who are that guy in the office but worshiping God on Sunday. May Metro Life Church never be filled with people whose relationships outside of these doors are marked by anger and jealousy toward one another. May we not be a church that the homes that our children are coming up in need years of gospel recovery because of the ways that they were parented or had illustrations in front of them of anger left unchecked. I submit this for your consideration in your own heart this morning. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion today. I'm going to walk us through that a bit unusually today. Something a little bit different. Many of the issues, I believe, that may be springing forth in, from the issue of anger, I think that they can be connected to a, an, a culture of instant gratification, especially sexually. I don't believe that we should normalize porn. I don't think that we should see it as a tool in our marriage for arousal. We shouldn't accept it as a normal part of life or a healthy view of sexuality. I don't want to do this in an unhelpful way, but isn't that creating your own orgy in your mind? I said at the outset, I'm not intending to be crass. I'm not intending to be rude or mocking or joking in any way, shape, or form. Neither do I want to neglect a pastoral responsibility to call us up to something. Church, wake up. I do believe that there is one who overcame sexual sin, social sin, addictive sin. I believe that Christ in his overcoming of the world also overcame these sins. What does James 4, 1 through 4 say? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on what? Your passions. What does he say then? 
you adulterous people. You may find yourself asking this morning, what is it then? What is it then that is powerful enough to overcome the sins of the flesh? Verse 14 rings so hopeful for you today. A powerful union with Jesus Christ, the Savior that we are called to put on. Just read it with me here. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's a stronger union than the knockoffs you may have been trading for. The gospel is big enough not only to redeem you, but to restore you as well. Isn't that good news for us? We are not left vulnerable We are not left wanting because we have Christ and he commissions the Holy Spirit. And so what can we do in result? We can draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need, James 4 goes on to tell us. What's going to happen as we are a church that puts on Christ? I would actually argue with you that Paul is experiencing this in greater ways than even the disciples of Jesus did. He may say, oh, Chris, what are you saying? The disciples were with Christ as he walked this earth. Christ is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an intimacy to the union that we have now that is what we were created for. And so if you want to look to the ultimate intimacy Look to Christ and the union that we have with him. That is a covenant blessing that can never be broken. That union with Christ will lead to a healthy community. It will lead to what we all long for, I think, in in part of the work that God has created us for, for a social good. Why? Because it's going to flow out of a renewed mind. It's going to flow out of a transformed heart. That's going to lead to a fulfillment of the law and a satisfaction in Christ that can equip us to bring him glory in our homes, in our relationship, in our very witness for who God is. Now, I want to acknowledge today that while I want us to encounter the conviction of the Holy Spirit in these areas where it may be needed, I also want to encounter a Savior who is willing and able because he's already overcome the world. So here's what we can do. Take heart. Take heart. I want to encounter a loving God who has made a way for us to draw near in his presence through his son's life, death, resurrection, and now intercession on our behalf. I also recognize that a a message alone on this subject can bring radical change in our perspective or even healing to the brokenness in our hearts and minds. I, I believe this. I believe you can be free today. You don't have to walk out of those doors the same way that you may have walked in. You can find freedom today. But the reality is also this. It's going to take some time to walk out a renewed life of love in the areas of sexual sin or anger. 
That's why we need godly relationships. That's why we need community with other mature or maturing believers to find help in our time of need. But for today, let's start with a very simple step. Let's think about the one that we are called to communion with. Let him become bigger and more beautiful in our eyes. The one that we are given the gift of abiding in in an intimate union with, that is God. Through Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Just, just pause for a moment. Maybe just close your eyes if that helps you not be distracted by anything that's going on. We are called to know a God that when he speaks, universes come out of his mouth. When he says, let there be light, it just happens. And we get to have intimacy with him. Welcomed in, ushered in by the one who died for us, Jesus Christ. The one whose blood makes us not vulnerable in his presence. A Savior who, when he says it is finished, totally receives the wrath of God on our behalf and does this. He extends grace and mercy toward us. He is so completely other than us. Where we may try to vindicate having to receive the wrath of God, what does he do? He expresses love perfectly in mercy and kindness. And he's strong enough to do it. Why? Because he destroys the gates of hell in the process. We are benefactors of his divine inheritance because he calls us brothers and sisters. We have the Holy Spirit who pours out gifts to use. Not only are we redeemed, we are given more. Gifts, they're called. That we get to use to be a part of the work of restoration that He is doing. We get to be a part of building up and unifying and encouraging the church to point to one who when He speaks, universes come out of His mouth and light appears. We get to be a part of His work. What a powerful union that is. What an amazing communion that is. What a deep and perfect intimacy that is.